fresh out the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. And I'm Grayson. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, Can You Feel the Bums Tonight? Uh, covering all the films in the Lion King series. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Emmett. I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. I liked you singing that song. I hope you continue to sing throughout this episode. I I may. I may. How are you? Um, well, this is the part of the episode where I would usually say that I was doing well, but tonight, dear listener, I'm not going to lie to you. I am feeling pretty <laughs> damn rough. I truly know what it is to be a Disney villain now. I am a sinister queer with a mustache, a head cold, and a hatred for society. Um, I, I lost my voice over the past weekend, and I've only barely regained it today, so I have what is t- deemed by my cousins and I um, the sexy cold voice. I'm either cursed or blessed with it this evening. That is the plot of a Disney Renaissance movie. <laughs> Wait, which <laughs> one? Which one? A young mermaid loses her voice for the weekend and has to find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that is that is actually my story, is it not? <laughs> All right. Well, also today, if I wasn't doing well, then I am now because today we're honored to have a special guest. He's an actor, singer, escape room entrepreneur, and all-around musical man, perhaps best known to our audience for being cast in the upcoming live-action Tarzan remake as Phil Collins. Please welcome Grayson Wade. Awesome, man. That That is an intro that I've never heard, but thank you for... That warms my heart. Thank you so, so much. Well, Grayson, we are just honored and privileged and happy to have you here. Truly. What is your previous experience with this film and also with the entire Lion King series? So, yeah, I watched this film in theaters uh, when it first came out. The remake? The remake, yes. Because the original premiered in 94 which was two years before I was born. I was not someone who was super nostalgic about the original film, as like so many people are. So I didn't have a lot of high expectations for the live action. As far as like the mid to late 90s Disney animated movies, Aladdin was my personal favorite. That's the one I watched on repeat all the time. So mm. I wasn't the kid who watched Lion King every weekend. You know, some people are really upset with the live action. I thought it's fun because, you know, I I didn't have anything to, like, oh, I nitpicked that and that, you know. So that's pretty much my experience. Uh, you know, I was just in it for the, the good times, the songs. And uh, I also love Hamlet. So that is my favorite mm-hmm. Shakespearean play. And But if we're going to say, like, with the whole trilogy, what my experience is, my favorite movie was always Lion King one and a half. Because I love some Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. 100%. Yes. Mm -hmm. Grayson, you are already getting into the Shakespeare corner, which is a whole segment of this podcast. So, yes. (laughs) Incredible. Thank you. So happy to have you here. So, tell me, did you ever watch Lion King 2, the direct-to-video sequel to the first Lion King? Guess what? I watched it for the first time last night. 
Unbelievable. Because I love you. I, I, so I watched the OG Lion King again last night and then watched the live action today. Uh-huh. But my girlfriend Caroline loves the Lion King 2 Simba's Pride. So immediately after watching the Lion King, we watched Lion King's 2 Simba's Pride. Okay, what do you feel about this movie? Just just speak on it, please. <laughs> the original is so fun. It's campy. The animation's great. Mm. The voice act... I mean, you, who can go wrong with James Earl Jones? Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of Matthew Broderick, though. I think he's the mm. worst part of that film. I'll admit it. And mm. then watching the uh, second... Uh, it's it's not that great. <laughs> if I were to say flop or bop, it definitely would be flop. My girlfriend would be very upset in hearing that. But keep it I, in, keep it in. Yeah, she's vibing the whole time, and I'm like, oh. I also I can't get past the fact that t- what's the the kid like the angsty teen's name? What's his name? Kuvo. Oh. I can't back. Get, I can't get past the fact that he is Max Goof from a Goofy movie, and it's all I'm thinking about. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't even mention that. So. Wow. I did enjoy, though, the villain song in that movie, whatever it was. I thought the... I don't think it touches Be Prepared, but it's pretty good. Mm. I was like, all right, I can get behind this. It kicks, dude. It might touch Be Prepared 2019. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, they push right. it, they cut it down. Oh my god. Okay, wait. Can I can I just take a moment to try and explain to the listener who may not have seen this movie <laughs> what the hell it is we all just watched? <laughs> please, please. Okay. Imagine the original Lion King, if you've seen it, the original cartoon. But it's a nature documentary. (laughs) And that's it. That's like the whole thing. (laughs) There is absolutely no more to it than that. It's like, what if we took everything you loved about the original Lion King and took it out and then gave you a movie? Well, it's so, not quite that it's because not, they have literally done that with some of these remakes. No, this one true. does have the songs. This, it does least. have the, it does have the songs. Now you're right. It does take cut out a little bit of Scar's song, but for the most part, all of the songs mm-hmm. are there. Everything you mm-hmm. love that way. As far as plot beats go, it is, and as far as like songs go and everything, it is a direct remake of the original. And yet, I believe that both of my fellows on here would agree with me in saying it. it somehow fails to live up to the grandeur of the original. Does it not? Can we speak on that? I think that there are some bad creative decisions made. But, like, it's baffling to me, right? Like, I'm confused as to why I don't like this movie. I don't hate this movie. I really don't. But that also goes back into I don't look at the grandeur of the original because I don't have this emotional tie to the original. I I enjoyed it for what it is, you know, the nature documentary that it is. I think that the History Channel did a great job with this movie. Uh, But I do appreciate the darker tones that it goes with because the original Mm. is very morbid. Like, Mm. it it is, but it's under this Disney cartoon facade that they can't be too dark. I appreciated how dark they allowed the live action to get. All good defenses, all fair. Wade, would you care to give us the quick stats on this film? This film was directed by John Favreau. Bless up. Responsible for 
a shocking amount of popular culture. He starts out as an actor in sort of swingers in the 90s. Then he becomes a director. He directed Elf. He directed Iron Man, creating the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Directs the Jungle Book and this movie. He also plays happy Iron Man's butler in those movies, so you have seen him if you've watched the Iron Man or the Avengers movies. Isn't he like Um, a big guy with a beard? Yeah, he's a big guy with a beard. Uh, He does the movie Chef, where he plays a a food truck chef, (laughs) and he looks like a food truck chef. I think he also has a Netflix show now where he just, like, makes grilled cheeses with celebrities and talks to them. That's awesome. And then he also creates and writes The Mandalorian. Oh, right. Oh, that little thing. (laughs) He he is a genius. He really is. He is, like, family director 101. You know what I mean? Mm. He's like, what does the, like, family zeitgeist want? Let me give it to them. Yeah, I feel like for as well known as he is, he maybe just still isn't, like, in the conversation as much as he should be for really, like, delivering all these huge pop culture monuments to the world. Mandalorian alone, my god, he is, like, he's the new Joss (laughs) Whedon without all the baggage. Yeah, there's some real similarities there. Um, speaking of true auteurs, this film was written by Jeff Nathanson, who wrote Rush Hour 2 and 3, Indiana Jones 4, and Pirates of the Caribbean 5. No, oh. no. Okay, wait. Let me speak on this. This is the best film out of Let those. me speak on this man's career. Yeah. Let me speak on two of the movies from this man's career real quick. Uh-huh. What else are you going to do with an Indiana Jones 4 or a Pirates of the Caribbean 5. <laughs> this, the franchises are dead. They are deceased. You're asking him to be a Dr. Frankenstein. Come back and, like, patch this thing together and give it a jolt of life. And my mm. god, if you can fault the man for bringing extraterrestrials <laughs> into Indiana Jones 4, or Javier Bardem into Pirates of the Caribbean 5, <laughs> then I say... Write me a better fourth and fifth Indiana Jones and Pirates all of the right. Caribbean. That's all. There we go. We'll see what James Mangold has up his sleeve for a fifth <laughs> Indiana Jones. We'll see where that one goes. Jeez. I'm sure this guy spent many sleepless nights on this script. I'm sure he really had a hard time <laughs> figuring out how to change the original here. I also found out while researching it that he was attached to write... This may this may surpass The Lone Ranger as the most cursed film of all time. This film didn't get made, but it was in 2017. He was going to write it. It was going to be a Hugh Hefner biopic directed by Brett Ratner of X-Men The Last Stand, starring Jared Leto oh. as Hugh Hefner. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. You know, timing is everything in Hollywood. There's no good time. For that <laughs> ever <laughs> jared little would have had to really sleep with five thousand women in order to play that part oh god let's break down the many music credits on this film yes they're sort of they're sort of all back from the various other ones so the score is by hans zimmer who does the score for the first you've got the songs from the original by elton john and tim rice they have also done a new song which plays over the credits, which Elton John is singing. Mm-hmm. And those songs, the Elton John songs, have been produced by Pharrell. So these new versions you're listening to are like the Pharrell remixes 
You've also got Lebo M who does the music for one and a half and for two. He's singing in this on the circle of life and he has a credit song too. And then you've got Beyonce who has done the new song spirit, which is not sung by Nala, but by Beyonce. While they're running back to the pride lands. <laughs> yes. Well, they're running. I really like that moment. I think Beyonce gets dunked on too much for this movie. I'll say it. I think this is a trash film, but I I think she gets dumped on too much for her, her voice acting in this film and for anything that happens with it. That's my new it take. It was better than I remembered. It is better than I remembered. I wouldn't say it was good, but it was indeed like better than I remembered. This movie runs one hour and 58 minutes. It is exactly half an hour longer than the original. Wait, 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 wait. Is that with the credits? That is with the credits, but not with, like, the eight minutes of Disney Plus credits okay. that get added on to the end. Okay, because when, you watch when I went to look it on, watch it on Disney Plus, it said two hours and five. And I was like, holy hell, I'm in for it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, I looked at how much time it was actually film until it hits the end credits. And it's one uh. for, it's 147 of actual like stuff is happening on screen, mm. uh, which is still probably half an hour longer than the original because comparatively the credits are, are probably the same. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause like the original is, I think one twenty eight, and then on Disney plus is like one thirty six or something. Right. They have all right. those international credits that roll at the end. That means there's at least like 12 minutes of international credits on this movie, which is crazy. Well, I think the credits here are longer than the original. It's still got to be, like, at least 20 minutes longer. (laughs) Where do they even put the time in? That's what I want to know. I can tell you, I think that it's all in the transitions. This is, like, the thing that I was noticing sort of watching them close back to back. Because we were talking about how the first one is so quick. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like you even said that you maybe wished the first one was longer or had a little bit more. Yeah. I feel like they might have felt some pressure to stay true to the original. And because of that, it's seemingly, like, in all of sort of the in-between scenes. They give Timon and Pumbaa more depth than this. They give Mm -hmm. Rafiki a little bit more depth than this. So I think you add at least, like, three or four minutes there. There's the five-minute scene where we follow the giraffe poop to Rafiki. Oh, yeah. That's new. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, that's when I walked inside to get another glass of water, man. Like, I was like, no, I can't. I'm not watching all of this, man. I I saw the original. Because in the original, that is just, like... Some dust from his mane blows yeah, yeah. very it, quickly like to maybe Rafiki. A Fifteen second sequence tops in the in the original. Yeah, but they're like, we really want to show the circle of life here, so you get to watch a dung beetle push draft poop for five minutes. Thank you. <laughs> I was just like waiting for James Earl Jones to be narrating it as a nature documentary. You know, my favorite thing that people trash about this movie is how how the animals don't emote enough. Uh-huh. And I'm like, they're animals. It's it's not like that Harrison Ford movie with the dog where the dog like has expressions and stuff, it, whatever that is called. But it, it's they I th- they do a very good job with the CGI animals looking like real animals that can emote as much as a lion actually does so i mean i agree that they're realistic and that is good as far as being realistic goes but then i'm like why are you doing the lion king with songs you know like why are you doing 
Like, why are you doing the Lion King at all if realism is what you're going for? Like, that has... The Lion King is so unrealistic in its entire premise. That, yeah, you're like, not going to see zebras and elephants bow to exa- a baby lion. Exactly. That's, like, so weird. Yeah. Like, so much of it is so contrived. When you put it in the nature doc, it's very impressive, and it is, like, very true to life, but it's also, like, this is so... Biz- it's, like, off-putting. Because when they're hand-drawn animation, you're like, yeah, sure, whatever, it, it's happening. Like, cool. So, like, they try really hard to make all baby animals in this movie very, very cute. Right, And they yes. succeed in that. Yeah, yeah. And they even reference it. There's a line where they say, like, he's really cute. Or it's like, he was cute when he was young. Now he's old and I don't like it. And, like, they, they literally are trying to, like, let the audience know, hey, look at the really good job we did making these baby animals look <laughs> adorable. Yeah, yeah. We paid millions of dollars for it. Please notice it. I feel like they know that the speaking emoting thing is weird too. Because I noticed that there are so many shots where you sort of do not see them talking in the foreground. Like it's sort of behind them or it's a long distance shot. I feel like most of the time they're sort of positioning the camera so you're not thinking that it looks like they have taken a realistic lion and then moved its mouth like it's speaking. Last thing I want to say, and I guess quote-unquote defending this movie, I think the voice acting is ten times better than the original. Mm -hmm. I'll give it that. The only thing that's in that is untrue is this voice acting of Scar in the original is unmatched. I don't think you can beat Scar's voice acting in the original. Everything else is fantastic. John Oliver? Ew, not a fan in the in the as the bird. It just like seems too 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 much. I like the script changes they give yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, he's got some the, funny, funny lines the, the, in this. Yes, I do agree. I just feel like he's doing like a community theater version of that character. <laughs> like I think the lines, I agree, the lines are probably better written, but I just think he is like doing it just a little too hard for it to quite work. For a beak that really can't emote at all. Exactly. So <laughs> exactly. And that's also kind of how I feel about Timon and Pumbaa. Is I'm like, couldn't they have been just like a little bit like more exaggeratedly animated than the other animals? Because they are like more exaggerated characters than the other animals too. I feel, And I feel like that's true in the original as well. That they're like even more like humans than the other animals do. And because they're kind of like your guide and you're like the audience's representative in that film. You know, in this, like, when he's always just here with his arms, like, tucked up at his sides, he can't do all the funny things that Timon does, where he's like, ah, Mm. he can't do the hula, which is like, when he doesn't do the hula, I wrote, no hula is homophobic. (laughs) Now, Be Our Guest is kind of funny, but yes, no, the hula would have been funnier. I think it's a good joke swap. I think they felt like... They couldn't have him say, dress and drag and do the hula in 2019. <laughs> but I felt like they saved a good joke to replace it. That's they were like, true. We have to That's something true. Good. That's I true. also think it's funny that in Hakuna Matata, in the original, they are, in 1994, are too scared to say the word fart. But they say it <laughs> in this movie. I wrote that down. I was like, they said fart this time. Oh, how the times have changed. <laughs> This film was released July 19th, 2019 by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. That is relevant because it is the live action label. It was not released through the animated studios 
label, and it is not considered one of Disney's animated films hmm. in their list that we read last week of like, oh, this damn. is the 33rd animated film or whatever. Now, here's my um, question. Did they actually build sets to point cameras at or do any like things or like is every piece of scenery also CGI'd? Both. The answer is yes to both. Okay. So everything is CGI except for... And this was just like an Easter egg. The very first shot of the movie. Oh. The very first shot of the sun rising in Africa is real. They went to Africa and shot it. And they just wanted to see, like, can we put a live action shot in the movie? Will anyone be able to tell? Everything else in the movie is entirely CGI. The answer is yes. So I could tell that so was real. It's an animated movie. Okay. It is an animated movie. But how they did it, which is pretty interesting, they didn't have, like, a team of animators doing it. They made it much more like how you make a video game than how you make an animated movie, which is that they sort of, like, digitally built the sets, they digitally built the characters and, like, programmed them to behave rather than sort of animating them frame by frame like you do with an animated movie. So they can just, like, place them in. The team was basically, like, ten people with VR headsets on is, like, how they directed this movie. And they paid, like, Caleb Deschanel, who's, like, a real Oscar-winning cinematographer... To come in there and, like, sit with a VR headset on and be like, all right, this is where we place the camera for this shot. This is where we place the camera for this shot. You telling me that really makes me mad that I didn't see Nathan Drake, like, swooping in, searching for treasure in the middle of (laughs) Africa. (laughs) It's pretty close. This is nuts. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. What? (laughs) That's impressive. Yeah. That's it's really crazy. wild. And this helped build the technology they used to make the Mandalorian, which is also cool. There's a bunch of cool stuff on Disney Plus about it. Although I'll warn if you haven't, if you don't know how they make the Mandalorian, it, it's kind of hard to not see once you have seen it. But for that, which is also John Favreau, they have basically like a huge circular room, like a real room. And then it's like a 360 projection of a digital environment they made. So it's, like, sort of the same principle as a green screen, but an actor is, like, walking in front of basically an actual image that they can look at and see, and then a real camera is photographing that. That's So, so they nice. are, like, projecting the digital image, and then there's a real actor walking in front of it, and then there is a real camera capturing that, That's... which is sort of the evolution of this technology. That's so crazy. So it's an in-camera effect, essentially. Yeah, because the camera kind of. Because the camera is picking up an already projected digital effect. Yeah, that's very impressive that they've mastered it for Mandalorian because I would have thought almost everything in Mandalorian is on location, which I'm yeah. sure some of it is, but it looks like it's on location. Yeah, that looks real as hell. Show. Only the Boba Fett episode where they're like out on the rocks mm-hmm. is the only location thing. Everything else is like in that digital that's volume. That's wild. That's Wait, absolutely wild. Do they not build any sets for that show at all? I'm sure they have, like, crates or, like, you know, like a, a ramp. I'm sure they have stuff like that yeah. that they have built. Um, you know they built that Imperial ship for season two because they're, like, every episode you have to see that Imperial hallway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you said that. I remember you saying that. The interiors are definitely sets. Yeah, I'm sure Damn. some of that stuff. But gotcha. once you know, you can watch it. You can kind of always see that, like, the characters are in the foreground and then, like, there's all this stuff happening behind them in a certain way. Hmm. That's really cool. This film had a budget of $260 million, which means that it would have needed about $600 million just to break even. It made $1,655,000,000 at the box office. 
What the hell? Insane. That's People crazy. love yeah. The Lion King. That's just what it goes Yeah. Through. People love this movie. I can't believe it. This film is tied with Tangled for the 12th most expensive movie ever made. In terms of grossing, it's the highest grossing animated film of all time. It's the second highest grossing film of 2019. Third is Frozen 2, which this makes a lot more than. Whoa. What's number one? Is it Avengers? Number one is Avengers Endgame. Damn. And this is the seventh highest grossing film of all time. The highest grossing movie we have ever covered on this podcast. Damn. Disney's outrageous. I also hope this is the highest grossing episode we ever do. Damn. (laughs) I hope so, too. (laughs) Well, actually, no. If we just get a little piece of that pie. (laughs) I hope future episodes make more money than this one does, honestly. And to wrap up these stats, uh, it got mixed reviews. It has a 55 on Metacritic. My review quote is from Helen O'Hara of Empire, who writes, The great circle of life has thrown up a gorgeous, star-studded story. But trading feeling for realism means we lose something of the original film's excellence. It is beautifully crafted and carefully conceived without ever entirely justifying its existence. As does all the live-action remakes. Yeah, we'll talk about those, too. Yes. Oh, we will. Before we get into that, Grayson, I must ask you. The Lion King, the remake, the live-action Lollapalooza. Flop or bop? probably be alone on this but again solely because i do not like that quote said the excellence of the first one uh-huh. because i do not have an emotional attachment attachment to the first one i do not view it as this excellent movie masterpiece for what this movie is i enjoyed myself i will say bop wade the 2019 beyonce vehicle <laughs> the lion king <laughs> the remake flopper bop it's a flop for me. I was pretty close, uh, not too far away from where Grayson is when I saw this the first time. I didn't. I liked this movie growing up, but it wasn't like my movie. My movie was Hercules of this <laughs> era. And I remember watching this in theaters, having not seen the original in 10 plus years and liking it. Watching it now, having seen all of the others very recently, I think I liked it a little bit less and having a little distance. I have... in an embarrassing amount of thoughts about this movie. Uh, But I'm just going to say two quotes this film reminded me of here. Mm -hmm. The first is the Frank Oz quote that he said for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I've thought about a lot since then, where he says, why would anyone remake a good movie? (laughs) And the other quote I'm reminded of is the J. Cole lyric, which I will paraphrase here, where he says, the good news is you came a long way. The bad news is you went the wrong way. That's my main thought about this. Emmett, how did you feel about the 29 King? (laughs) Terribly. I thought it was a flop. (laughs) But But I'm still confused as to why. It's like it's so close to the original and yet so far away. I like some of the performances better, but none of it holds together. And it's like, look, couple of big crimes here. First big crime is taking away chunks of Scar's song and also giving Scar a strange motivation. It's a different Scar. It's a totally different Scar. The unqueering of Scar is a crime against this movie. I know Mm -hmm. they're trying to be less problematic, but I feel like they have actually made it worse. Scar has now no motivation whatsoever. No, his motivation is because he wants to sleep sleep with with Sarabi's wife. Sarabi, but... 
but that doesn't make any sense and you don't ever really get the sense of like what that danger actually is and like here's a big problem here's a big problem with joseph campbell and the whole heroes myth is it completely ignores the people who get left behind while the hero's off on their exciting and interesting journey in the middle part of all of that the people who get left behind are real people who are actually like suffering under whatever this is i feel like these movies do not deal with that and like get into that because they're there for like five years with scars their king you know that's what i gotta say to you old joe cam okay i want to speak in defense of this movie scar who i actually kind of like i think it's kind of a smart move to do something totally different because i don't think you would have gotten someone who could do jeremy irons as well as jeremy irons can you know i feel like he doesn't have motivation in the first which doesn't bother me because he's fun and he's evil but in this one he has like a backstory that i feel is kind of succinctly told that he like fought for control of the pride with mufasa and mufasa gave him the scar and which is cool he's not gonna challenge him again yeah like i think all of that stuff is cool i don't like what they do with be prepared mm-hmm. i don't know if chuatel edgefort can't sing but he kind of sings in it so like why would you make it like a monologue and then he holds one line and then there's no song one cool thing i thought about like the whole villain aspect so in the original they paint the hyenas it's like just these three random hyenas two of them two of them are really dumb and there's one who's like not as dumb Mm -hmm. this is like a leader of the hyenas and it's like the hyenas and the lions have been at war, and that adds another layer to it. And they show much more of the hyena army before they take over the Pride Lands, which they do yeah. not do in the original, which I thought was kind of like a nice little addition that there is a ultimate leader of the hyenas, not just they're all these helpless animals that need Scar to save them kind of thing. I think some of that stuff is taken from the Broadway musical, too. Some of the stuff I know with, like, Nala and the hyenas and with the mom uh, is taken from the musical. I feel like, if anything, they've made it a little bit closer to Hamlet with Scar sort of trying to romance... That's true. Simba's mom. That's true. I love me some Hamlet, so that checks off a box for me. I also think that putting this in a more realistic color palette makes it harder to watch. It's, like, harder on the eyes. Because in that bright, less varied, and less realistic color palette of the animation style, you can tell what's sky and what's mountain and what's rock that's right in front of you because they shade them all very differently. And in this, it's more realistic, so like everything blends closer. And maybe it's because I'm just watching it on an old computer screen, but it was kind of difficult and the lines kind of blend in with the background a lot in mm. scenes and like well that's cool and like that's something you'd see in a nature documentary but like in the original lion king everything is very distinct and there's like very clean lines very clean lions they didn't get their lions crossed here's uh three things that i think would have been better than this movie okay (laughs) number one if they were really sold on like capturing the realism and as grayson Uh said like this movie is beautiful there's so much like artistry and and craft in this and i feel like they have these little shorts that play in front of disney movies when you go and see them in theaters i feel like they could have just done the circle of life true like and dropped it as a short in front of others if they were really like hey look how beautiful our animation is as like a tech demo basically you 
call it like Circle of Life 2019, you drop it in front of Frozen 2, and everyone's like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's like when Pixar does a random short just to flex their uh-huh. animation skills. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And no one talks in the opening, so you don't yeah. have that issue. It's like the end of Toy Story 4 when Keen Peel's characters go on a like rampage as giant plush monsters that can <laughs> destroy a carnival. Like that's just the animator saying, "Look at our skills," you know. That's what they could have done with the opening of this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. We should also say Keegan-Michael Key in this as one of the hyenas. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And another callback to our Peel series is uh, young Nala is Shahadi Wright Joseph, uh, who's the daughter in Us. Oh. No. oh. <laughs> and apparently played this role on Broadway. Was what? reprising her role. Good no for kid. her. Hell yeah. Booked and blessed. So just to get into the cultural context here for a second, mm-hmm. this movie is one in a series, a series which we have actually had a couple of suggestions to do, the Disney live-action remake. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just tell you, it all started in 2010 with a little film called Alice in Wonderland, the live-action remake by Tim Burton, baby! And mm-hmm. this movie, it was followed up by Maleficent in 2014, Cinderella, directed by friggin' Kenneth Branagh in 2015, the Jungle Book in 2016, along with Through the Looking Glass, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, Pete's Dragon in 2016, Beauty and the Beast in 2017, starring the wonderful Emma Watson and probably other people, Christopher Robin and Mary Poppins Returns in 2018, Dumbo in 2019, also a Tim Burton flick. Along with Dumbo in 2019, we also have Lion King, Aladdin, Lady and the Tramp, which I didn't even know got a live-action remake. Oh, yeah. Who wants to see the live-action... Disney Plus. See live-action dogs make out over a bowl of spaghetti. That's just weird. Those are real dogs, too. That's not CGI in that one. Yeah, I know. They really trained them. Then Mulan, 2020, <laughs> and Cruella, also in 2020. And now get this. Here are movies that are slated to have live-action remakes in the coming years. Hold on to your hats, fellas. Little Mermaid, Snow White... Lilo and Stitch, Hunchback ah. of Notre Dame, Pinocchio, Bambi, Robin Hood, which I know Kelly Lee awaits with bated breath, <laughs> Hercules, Peter Pan. Are you joking me? That notif- nullifies a observation I was having because... Like, Cruella and Lion King and, I believe, a couple others, the live actions were released on the 25th anniversary of the original films. Whoa. Hmm. Now, but I was wondering if they were doing that with all of them. Like, I didn't know if Alice in Wonderland did the same thing, blah, blah, blah. But, obviously, that is not true. But, you will notice that Lion King and Cruella, at least were on the 25th anniversary. Maybe Beauty and the Beast as well. But certainly some of these others are from the 60s and stuff, so it doesn't hold true for all, but definitely for some. I have to give a little bit of credit where credit is due here, Uh because the original, although not the trendsetter, which is Alice in Wonderland, the original is 101 Dalmatians. (gasps) Oh, it is! From the 90s with Glenn Mm -hmm. Close. No way, it is. You're so right. Great movie. Well, I don't know. It was fun. I don't know if it's I remember it being good. I I bet it's still good, but... Never seen it. it. Oh, we should do 101 Dalmatians. That would be crazy. We can't. Mm-hmm. We can't do it anytime this year. But you know, in this Lion King slot next year, I suppose. It's written by John Hughes, one of my faves. Oh, 
Okay, let's let's work our way through these. I'm going to try and weed out some of these side ones, you know, like like there isn't an animated movie called Maleficent. I get what it's doing, but you don't you do not consider that a remake of Sleeping Beauty? No. I think those are I think like that Christopher Robin Cruella are like side takes on an animated okay, thing. Okay, okay. Because those are asking a question like, don't you want to know how Cruella got to be the way she is? Oh, well, that's Can true. I spoil something about Cruella, which I watched the other day? Have you guys seen it? I haven't I seen it, I and I, I desperately want to. Want to. So now okay. that I have your Disney okay, Plus, well, I don't I'm know if I should spoil to... it. It happens in the first 20 minutes. Don't tell but me. But I won't spoil it if you don't want don't to. Don't tell me. I You can tell me okay. in a week. Tell me. On the <laughs> okay. next pod. I won't spoil it. I will just say that they have come up with the most shocking origin okay i will i literally cannot even get in the ballpark of saying what it is but i will just say i was dumbfounded when i saw it okay okay cinderella 2015 this is like the start of this like direct attack of nostalgia has anyone seen this one i did i saw that on a date my freshman year of college here's the thing i saw that movie having never seen the original cinderella hmm I still have not seen the original Cinderella. <laughs> this is one of the ones that takes out the songs. Lily James is my favorite in the world. I love Lily James. She can do mm. no wrong, in my opinion. Baby Driver, yes. Mamma Mia 2, yes. Thank you so much. Have you seen these pictures of her as Pamela Anderson? Insane. Emmett, have you seen this? No. I'm going to text it to you. <laughs> if that makeup artist does not win an Oscar, that is a crime for what they are doing to her. I'm sorry, I was very distracted by something else, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I'm sending you this picture now. <laughs> it is not, does not look like Lily James at all. It is 100% Pamela Anderson. Oh my god, that's crazy. I just looked up Lily James too because I didn't know who she was, and she looks very different than the, either of the two people that I was just looking at. Wild. I'm also distracted here because I, when I checked my phone, I saw that Laura has texted me what looks like a new Lord album coming out. What? Oh my Being god, the album release. <laughs> I know. Have Wait. you seen the album cover? Yes, the album art is of... Um, <laughs> Caroline no, well, showed me that today. It is. What, did this come out a while ago? Because I feel like I would have been on the up and up about Lord. It is an underneath shot of her... <laughs> um, nude on a beach it appears what it is just her naked butt and it says solar power arriving in 2021 sorry very distracted at the moment i'm also sending this to you Emmett. damn okay, bro yeah i think we're gonna have to cut about five minutes of this but holy that's fair <laughs> Lord is now. I don't know if this is an album or a song or what. I'm assuming it's an album. Damn, because we've been waiting so long. That is, that's saucy. As he twirls his mustache. Wow. Um, I'm not sure how to get back to the plot here. <laughs> okay. I mean, what were we possibly discussing? Wade, you were about to tell us about the behind the scenes. <laughs> Oh, I was about to run through these. I don't know. Um, Jungle Book 2016. That's the John Favreau one. Oh, yeah. That gets him the gig for this. Yeah, Anyone yeah. seen that? I have nope. not. Is it good? Is it okay? I liked it. I That's my fave of the ones I've seen, I would say. Okay. Has anyone seen Aladdin? Yes. Strong opinions about Aladdin because Aladdin was my favorite movie growing right. up. Right. I think Will Smith did a, as good of a job as he could as a genie. Like, I enjoyed him. I think he was actually my favorite part of that movie. And Prince Ali is a total bop in that film just the the dancing the music the sets it is just outrageous it's so good 
The rest mm. of it, I'm like, they really did a great job expanding on Jasmine's character, having her like not be so dependent on Aladdin. She's her own woman. She's strong. They give her a great song. Oh, the, Jafar in that movie. J- Jafar is like my iconic Disney villain. And, like, we talk about how this movie kind of did Scar and Injustice. What they do to Jafar in the Aladdin remake is just terrible. He is a dweeby, small little man who is kind of just the creepy dude who is the peeping Tom on Jasmine and is very, like, I must sleep with her kind of thing. And that's his only motivation. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. I couldn't bring myself to see it. I couldn't either. The YouTube, the Prince Ali music number, and uh, that's all you need to see. Um, I really didn't like Beauty and the Beast. That one from it. 2017 I thought was really bad. Dumbo I've heard is good. The one I've heard is actually good is Pete's Dragon, which I would like to see at some point and mm-hmm. haven't. That one's directed by David Lowry, who we might do at some point on this podcast in the future. If the Green Knight is as good as it looks, we may yeah. do David Lowry at some point. Just like a loose concept that probably is worth noting is that this like recent trend is not the first time that Disney Disney for a long time for like decades existed just as a company that sort of resold its old stuff because obviously they they made a lot of movies in like the 20s and 30s and stuff. For a long time, when there wasn't home video, they just re-released these movies every few years into theaters. And that's how, like, Disney made all of their money. They'd make, like, a new animated movie, like, every three years and just survive off of re-releasing old stuff. Wow. So this, I feel like, is sort of the modern version of that. Yeah. I mean, you could re-release Lion King, the original, in theaters. It would make money. And I think they did that, didn't they? I think they did, like, a 3D re-release in, like, 2011 or something. But now with Disney+, Plus, there's no point. And it wouldn't make $1.6 billion if they did that, you know? Yeah. So I feel like this is, like, a new way of re-releasing old content. I mean, I feel like I just feel totally bewildered and lost in this moment because of Lord's butt. I feel like we've totally lost the plot here. (laughs) So, like, get us back on some sort of cohesive track. No, we're we're on it, though, dude. You just need to tell us about what any behind-the-scenes drama that may have happened on this film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think I've done most of it. We we talked about how they made it. We talked about the remakes. Right. We've talked about Favreau's career. Okay. The only other thing that we should mention... Is that Barry Jenkins is directing a sequel? Oh damn! So I've been sabotaged with her ass because I was trying to look at the notes. Oh, had you not seen it? <laughs> well, I looked it up online, and then I didn't realize you texted it to me, so I went to open the text messages back up. I'm sorry. There it was. Oh, <laughs> we'll just send each other a lot of texts after this, so it won't be immediately. Okay, the okay no, 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 no. Let's, I'm, I'm we're saving getting back this on your track. new contact photo. <laughs> oh, God. Look, Barry, uh, this is what I have to say. Barry Jenkins is releasing, uh, is making a sequel to this movie. No. In the style of The Godfather Part 2. No, you're joking. <laughs> that is half about Scar and Mufasa as teenagers. And is half a sequel to this that takes place after this movie, you're, but is not Simba's Pride. Are you, you wait? Sorry. Tell me you're joking. I'm not joking. You're not it's really jo- happening because the other I read day that they're casting for it now. The other day, can we get in on this for Simba, Simone, and Tumba? Simba, <laughs> Simone, and Tumba. <laughs> All right, can we? I, 
Like, oh lord as we get back on track dude let me know when i can talk about timon and pumbaa because they were the highlights of this movie for let's me let's do it uh, now let's yeah. run through the cast yeah let's do it do it pumbaa. start with timon and pumbaa awesome seth rogan and billy eichner are the most like iconic part of this film for me voice acting wise specifically pumbaa i would die for baby pumbaa 100 <laughs> percent um he's worth he's living so for cute. And dying for. Yeah, I just think their banter, the extra line... Like, we were talking about John Oliver didn't do a great job with... And he had some of the best lines in the film. Mm -hmm. The extra lines they wrote for the Timon and Pumbaa stuff is great. They're kind Mm. of making fun of the movie as well with their dialogue. Give me the opening number and give me all of Timon and Pumbaa scenes and I am happy i know i already labeled it as a bop but like that is a bop in my book let me let me uh sit back have some scotch in hand and watch those scenes and i am just a happy boy they're great in this and i feel like they fare especially well because they get a lot of new stuff zazu gets some new stuff too you know i feel like the people who get the new jokes sort of fare the best I also think it's a cool little tribute to Nathan Lane as like another famous gay singer comedian to have Billy Eichner here as Timon. Mm-hmm. And it's like a very different Timon. My favorite part is when Timon says, How are you in as few words as possible? <laughs> and that's written down as my favorite line too. That was also my favorite joke. Oh gosh. I, I was going to ask, has Seth Rogen done other a lot of other voice acting or no? He's done some animated stuff. I mean, he made Sausage Party, which he voices in. I would guess that he's not the most trained singer. Yeah. I like his voice acting, though, in this. I don't like his Mm -hmm. singing much, but I do like his voice acting. I just like how casual they are. Like, I would love to see Lion King one and a half, Rosencrantz and Gildestern are dead, with Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner doing it. I would pay a lot of money to watch their portrayal (laughs) of that. I would do. I would shell out that thirty dollars Disney Plus fee to watch that. One hundred percent. Get old Kenneth Branagh back to do something lighthearted for once, and yeah. uh, have him with Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner. Man, that would be oh, God so good. Or a Billy on the Street episode with them running around New York City as Timon and Pumbaa in their yes. in like the on Broadway Lion King on Broadway costumes for them. Mm-hmm. That would be so good. They also recorded together, which I think you can kind of tell because no one else did. But they were like in the sound booth together, improving and like doing other stuff. Love I love the bit like once they finish Akuna Matata and Donald Glover's just going off, and it's like, oh, he's riffing now, and he's like, I think he sounds really good. It's, I think it's better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> he grew four hundred pounds. <laughs> Part is so funny. Also, the singing in this movie is better than the original. In my opinion, mm. the like listening to "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" with Donald Glover and Beyonce is so good. That's listening true. to Matthew Broderick do his best producer's impression, I could pass on it. The singing is a lot better. I noticed it was less of that '90s cheese fest and more like actual mm. good music that you might listen to. You don't hear a ton of that Elton John influence, even though they were written by him in yeah. this version, you know. And I guess also like the broader point that we should make sort of the only actual justifiable reason for this movie to exist is to make a movie set in Africa with a black cast. 
Mm-hmm. Which is just worth noting that in the first movie, like almost everyone is a white actor. Um, I think like his mom and like the singing voice of young Simba and like Rafiki are black actors and everyone else is, you know, like Matthew Broderick. What'd you say? It is a worthy goal. But why not just do a new, do like do a new original movie? Like Disney does not want for money or for creative minds who could come up with something, you know? Well, would a new original movie make $1.6 billion? Fair point. To return to my list of three things that would be better than this movie yes. that I started at the <laughs> beginning of this podcast. Yeah. Because they're tied into this. Number two, a CGI remake of The Lion King that is not like super realistic. Because mm. I feel like that is sort of the original sin of this. That's really my only big problem with this movie is just that like I think it's... Like, when you're tying yourself to they've got to behave like real animals, then you're sort of taking the fun out of it. Much less opportunity for drama and, like, pushing the medium forward, you know? I feel like it's in the uncanny valley. In, like, mm-hmm. a weird... in You know? And it's just, like, it's always going to not quite be right. And here's the thing. We know in 30 years the original will look good, and we know in 30 years that this won't. Yeah. I mean, and this is live-action CGI hybrids. This will probably do better than those since it's all CGI. But, like, it is now getting to the point where when I watch, like, 2016, 2017 movies, uh-huh. I can start to tell that the cgi looks weird when it's yeah. on at the time like when i was watching spider-man homecoming a couple of months ago i was like oh i kind of noticed this in a way i didn't before you know that's true of movies like before 2010 you're like ooh. oh yeah but this is the thing too like just give it a cool art style like that's why wind waker looks so much better than twilight princess today yeah even though it was like made fun of at the time for being cartoony instead of realistic yeah it's like like it holds now up. twilight princess doesn't look realistic it looks grainy as all <laughs> hell So that's number two. And number three, and what I think would be the best possible outcome, is just do a live reading of the original Lion King script with this cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's really all you need. I know that that wouldn't make (laughs) $1.6 billion, but, like, that I feel like is, like, this cast is incredible, and having them do the Lion King, they're all great casting, and, like, I just would rather see that, or have them revoice the original. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's better than mixing like a nat geo take with this cast grayson who is your mvp ots your most valuable player other than simba well obviously you know me talking so much about timon and pumbaa it's got to be one of them yeah i ultimately land on pumbaa because timon's also kind of a jerk to pumbaa you know he he like throws him under the bus multiple times in this film i love that pumbaa is you know he is not equipped to be a fighter at all he just wants to eat his grubs and chill out and you know live his life do him as he says uh i love that in the end he turns into this kind of anti-bullying hero Mm -hmm. when he gets called chubby and he says i'm scared of hyenas but i'm never scared to fight a bully i think that as cliche as it is i think it is a very good (laughs) moment uh for that character and you're like all right i can get behind this so yeah, I will definitely go with Pumbaa as kind of the most valuable player because he doesn't always have the smartest thing to say, but he's a friend who is there no matter what, and he's going to help out his buddy. And he's he makes himself live bait, you know? Like, who does that? <laughs> Just to help out the cause. Truly. 
Truly. Do you think the anti-bullying message is better than they call me Mr. Pig? <laughs> yes, yells it, is better. <laughs> it is better than Mr. Pig. Yes, way better. Uh, Wade, who's your MVP OTS? Well, I really like Timon and Zazu, as I mentioned, but my MVP is John Connie, the great South African playwright who is King T'Chaka, Black Panther's dad in Civil War. And he plays Rafiki here. Whoa. I think he's really good. I like, uh, I feel like that's a hard role to capture from the original, especially when you're sort of doing it a little more realistic. But I like all of the cutaways to him. And I think his scene with Simba, like, is just really good. And it's hard because you've already got Mufasa bringing that sort of gravitas, like, in terms of you're thinking, like, an older actor who's leaving a big impression. Like, that's sort of Mufasa's role. And so... I think John Connie brings like a different sort of like respectable elder legacy to the film that ends up being sort of what Simba needs a little bit more than hmm. just like his father was at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really like the stuff he did. Emmett, who's your MVP? You know, honestly, you've made it pretty easy for me because the only person that I ever laugh at in this movie is Timon. And <laughs> uh, so it's going to, it's going to be. Billy Eigner is Timon. I think mm-hmm. he has a couple of good lines in this. I do wish he was animated more as an animal. Now we have come to our segment on the favorite song. Grayson, what was your favorite song in this film? So I watched it for the first time in 2019. And at that point, I thought it was... I remember thinking, I Can't Wait to Be King was great. Like, oh, they did such a good job remaking it. And I remember telling my girlfriend caroline i'm like oh you've got to you've got to check this out this scene is so good and i remember watching it again today and i was like oh it's no better than the original mm-hmm. i can't wait to speak king and it then changed to uh can you feel the love tonight just i think that donald glover and beyonce are unmatched vocally that key change hits you like a ton of bricks and it's fantastic <laughs> so favorite song is definitely can you feel the love tonight it does sound incredible. We've got to sort of mention that it's like, can you feel the love this afternoon? Because it isn't exactly dark when they do sing it. It's sort of like uh, 3 p.m. Uh-huh. It looks like. It's the best time to fall in love. What are you talking about, Wade? A real nine in the afternoon situation. <laughs> Who am I to argue? Emmett? I liked a song in this. I really... I- <laughs> Did you watch this movie? <laughs> yes, I liked a song in this movie. It was good, and they sang it. Thank you. <laughs> I really liked I Just Can't Wait to Be King. I, I thought that was fun. The baby animals are adorable. The baby animals are really cute. I did think about baby that. Hippos. I, was like, I was like, all these baby animals are real cute. Um, that's the only good part of this new animation style is all of the very adorable baby animals and then i was like wait why isn't this just being narrated by an attenborough without all of these singing animals in it you know it's very strange. yeah it, animals like, don't go sing wait like okay wait <laughs> grayson i just saw this movie and the craziest thing happened there were these animals and they were talking what's up well, I like I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which is my fave in the original. They do it justice here. But my fave in this one is The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Ooh. Mm. 
it's that very fun, very weird moment where it feels like they're sort of just like grooving for a little bit. <laughs> they're like, yeah, just put the rest of it on pause and let's have a little fun. I like the singing aardvark in that. That's fun. Billy Eichner, kind of a good singer, better singer than I expected. Yeah, wasn't he like trying to be a Broadway star and then he found his niche with his comedy show or something? I have no idea. I remember reading he was an usher at The Lion King on Broadway. Full circle of life. All right, y'all. It is time for the quiz. <laughs> a thing oh, that man. I, this week, have put entirely too much work into. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Prepare for my magnum opus. It is the main <laughs> event. And this evening, I'm inspired by Beyonce. We are talking tonight about other famous vocalists who have had film careers... <laughs> Also, okay, <laughs> okay, all right. And I'm going to okay I'm going to tell you the name of this of a famous vocalist, and then I'm going to tell you the name of three movies that all came out in the same year, and you're going to tell me which <laughs> one of those three movies this vocalist was in, and it's right. going to kick some ass, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up! All right, all right. We're starting off with Cher. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> and I will get, I will narrow this down for you. The year is 1999. The movies are The Talented Mr. Ripley, Tea with Mussolini, Girl Interrupted. I don't think it's Mr. Ripley, but I could be, I had no idea. I don't think it's Girl Interrupted. I'm pretty sure that's more of an indie one. So let's say the other one. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard of Mr. Ripley and I don't know why. Mr. Ripley's the Matt Damon one, right? I can neither confirm nor deny that. Not because I'm being shifty. I just straight up don't know. Let's say Tea with Mussolini would be my guess. Yeah, I'll go there too. You are in fact correct. It is a semi-autobiographical <laughs> film by Franco M.F. Zeffirelli, my guys. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Wade. <laughs> Teamwork. All right. Next, uh, yeah. next vocalist on this list. Tina Turner. Okay. The, the film that she's perhaps better known than any of the ones on this list would be uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. But that would have been <laughs> too easy of a choice for this game. So I'll tell you, from 1993, was she in Robin Hood Men in Tights, A Perfect World, or Last Action Hero? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I feel like I did... Um... A Tina Turner deep dive recently, and now give them to me one more time. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, A Perfect uh-huh. World, Last Action Hero. Whew. Um, I'm going to do the method I did last time and pick the one I haven't heard of and say A Perfect World. I was going to say that too because I had no, I, no earthly idea, but just to mix things up, this is a shot in the dark, let's say Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Well, you are both wrong. It is Last oh. Action Hero. Wow. Okay. Next up, it is Rihanna. The year is okay. 2012. Okay. The films are Battleship, mm-hmm. Red Dawn, Dread. <laughs> the answer is Battleship. It is. I did, in fact, know this one. Oh, okay. I, have you seen? Have you seen this say. movie? I've not seen it, but I have seen the trailers, and I think I got a gist of the movie. Okay. See, I thought that was going to be a hard one, but apparently that that was the easy one. You said Rihanna. Yeah. Rihanna used to make music. <laughs> oh, 
Damn. <laughs> Damn. Oh, no. All right. Next up, it's Madonna. Uh, somebody who we have reviewed before on our very first episode, unreleased, hashtag release the Holloman cut, uh, when we <sighs> talked about Dick Tracy. No, obviously, I'm not going to talk about Dick Tracy on this quiz. The year is 1986. The three films are Blue Velvet, Manhunter, and Shanghai Surprise. Which oh, one God. was Madonna in of those three? Oh... I'm going to say the only one I have ever heard of and say Blue Velvet, not knowing remotely if that is true or not. Pulling on what I know from Madonna's body of work, I'm going to go with Manhunter. Wow, you are both wrong. It was, in fact, (laughs) the British-American romantic comedy, a Shanghai surprise. Wow. Next up, it's Mariah Carey. The year is 2008. Cast your minds back is the same year that Twilight came out. The movies that she may have been in are You Don't Mess with the Zohan, Disaster Movie, or Quarantine. If you had said glitter, that would have been obvious, but I that is probably like early, that's, early. That's 2000s. why I didn't go with glitter, damn it. <laughs> Say them again, please. Uh you don't mess with the Zohan, Disaster Movie, Quarantine. I'm gonna say you right. don't mess with the Zohan. And I'm going to say disaster movie. And it is Wade who is correct. Mm, she's in that. That's the Adam Sandler movie. It is, in fact, the Adam Sandler movie where he does push-ups with his tongue. Ugh, the mind reels. All right, next up, it's Dolly Parton. The year is 2011. The films that she may have been in were The Big Year, Abduction, also starring Taylor Lautner. Or Nomeo and Juliet. That's gotta be Nomeo and Juliet. I saw that in th- I, I got extra credit for watching that in theaters in high school. <laughs> what was the first one? I don't think it's Abduction. The Big Year. What a horrible title for a movie. Um, I don't know. I'm also gonna go with Nomeo and Juliet. Wow, you are both right. That is not one that I would have nice. gotten for sure. All right. Who did she play? I have no idea. Now, do you think I put any more work into this than I had to? The answer is unknown. <laughs> unknown. <laughs> Next up, it's Aretha Franklin. I can never say that name. Rest in peace. Yeah, you yeah put some respect on that name. I know. Aretha Franklin. The year is 1980. The movies that she made are Urban Cowboy, Cannibal Holocaust, or Blues Brothers. <laughs> Baby! I haven't seen any of these. Uh, I'm going to go Blues Brothers. I'm also going Blues Brothers because I think she sings in the church scene. You're both right. It is Blues Brothers. I just mm. included those other two because the names were too good. This is what I've been saying about movies in the 80s, man. You can just do anything. <laughs> you just you just come up with two words, slam them next to each other, and then like we're going to write something about this. Urban Cowboy... <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust. My God, the options are limitless. All right, next up, it's Whitney Houston. The year is 1996. Mm. The, the movies are The Preacher's Wife, Muppet Treasure Island, and Space Jam. Wow, you really got me good here. Um, Muppet Treasure Island. I will also be going with Muppet Treasure Island because it sounds like something she'd do. You're both wrong. It is The Preacher's oh. Wife. Mm. All right. I knew now, it wasn't Space Jam. Coming into the final two, I have no idea what the score is, so I hope you've 
been keeping track of how many got right. Wade's got three. I've got two, I think. Nice. Wow. That's impressive. It's Courtney Love. The year is, once again, 1999. (laughs) The movies are Fight Club, The Virgin Suicides, Man on the Moon. Energy-wise, most similar to Fight Club by a lot. That's also the only one I've seen here, and I was too young to have known who Courtney Love was at the time. But it's hard to think of who she would have played, because there aren't many female characters in that. I'm going to go with Man on the Moon. That's what I was going to go with, but just to see if I can level the score, I will go with Fight Club. Wade, you're correct with Man on the Moon. Finally, the actress is Jennifer Hudson. The year is 2015. The films... Okay. Yeah, I'm not doing Cats, dude. I thought you were going to do Dream Girls. <laughs> um, the movies are Focus, Sicario, Chirac. I'm going to say Focus, I believe. Yeah, Focus. Uh, this is truly embarrassing because I've seen Focus and Chirac. I haven't seen Sicario. I can't imagine we would ever have much to say about Denny Villeneuve on this podcast. No, never. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Chirac. Wade, you have won the game. Wow. It was, in fact, Chirac, um, wow. and that clinches, I believe, the whole game for you. Congratulations as we wrap that up. Grayson, do you have any final thoughts about this film that you'd like to impart to the listener? Yeah, like I said, um, way better than I expected it to be with you know very little expectations going in, reason for giving it a bop. I enjoyed myself. I think it is a beautifully crafted film. It yes has a lot of faults, and it was it did not need to be made. It was not something that needed to be done, and I will not spend time watching it like just for fun. I don't think anymore, but I am thankful it exists. Wait, final mm-hmm. thoughts? I've got four very quick ones. First, I'd like to apologize for being so embarrassingly distracted by Lord's Butt this episode. <laughs> I'd like to say the Lord is my favorite musical artist, and I've spent most of the last four years imagining when her record would drop, so I was very excited and um, for it to be accompanied by such an image. Uh, number two, <laughs> I think there is a little uh, visual reference to Star Wars in here when the little Simba and Nala are entering the elephant's graveyard there's a very specific shot that I think is the same shot as the one in Star Wars A New Hope where you see it from R2's eyes in the Tusken Raider scene when R2 is like hiding and pretending to be a rock and Luke is looking for him and you kind of see him looking around (laughs) I think that little scene sort of looks a lot like the Tusken Raider waiting scene and uh if it was anyone else i wouldn't say anything but with knowing favreau did the mandalorian after this i feel like he might have dropped that little thing in for him uh i'd also like to say i don't think the score in this is very good i think it's real diminishing returns for han zimmer Mm. i think they honestly should have gotten ludwig who did mandalorian and black panther i think um you could have had some fresh blood there and lastly i would just like to say lions Attack. <laughs> Emmett, final thoughts? This movie was just made to make money. It's egregious. That's it. My concluding statements. And Grayson, may I ask you where the people might find your voice, find any projects that you are currently working on or would like to plug? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Grayson underscore Wade. Grayson is spelled with an E, not an A. Same for Instagram and all that. Um, I'm not an avid poster, but an avid follower. 
Um, and I am on a new career venture being a escape room connoisseur. So I uh, hope to see you guys in the future at some future escape rooms for sure. That's awesome. Very mm-hmm. excited to come and uh, do a Lion King themed escape room, but like off brand. Bro, speaking of themes, escape rooms, our company just partnered with Nickelodeon and we're doing a Rugrats themed oh. escape room. Whoa, that's way cooler. Whoa. That's that's so much cooler. Gotta check that out. I think it's opening in Vegas. Well, thanks so much for being here, Grayson. It was a true delight. This was a blast. I mean, since y'all started your podcast, I was like, I got to be on this 100%. So thank you guys for having me. So good to have two Wades in one episode, really. Two Wades. After spending all that time with Emmett, uh, two Emmets in the Twilight series. Oh, yeah. Glad to have another Wade here. It's been lovely. (laughs) Love you guys. Bye. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.